every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, authors and educators, to discuss two to four episodes of Joss Whedon's critically acclaimed series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and its spin-off series, Angel. Uh, and joining me this time is, again, Nikki Stafford, author of Bite Me, the unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But come on, guys, you know that. Seriously, if you're not best friends with Nikki by now, I don't even know what to tell you. So she was literally <laughs> just here last week. Come on, get with the game. Uh, Nikki, thank you so much for sticking around. Of course, hey, Paul. Uh, I threatened that you're just going to be the regular co-host and I'm never going to let you go. We'll find out what happens at the end of this episode. Ooh, mm. mystery. Uh, so uh, this podcast, uh, I do multiple podcasts and I I usually have like a a banter portion, a sort of what the heck's going on with you thing at the top of every episode before I get into the real uh, discussion. But I haven't really been doing that on Conversations with Dead People. Um, but last time you joined me, we had uh, to talk about the Slayage Conference. So yeah. that qualified as a banter portion. And there is a, there is a little thing that's sort of going on in the in the whedon world right now that i feel like we should just address however briefly and we'll consider that a banter topic for this episode and that's the uh the news that uh just came out that uh, buffy the vampire slayer is getting a the word that has been used is reboot uh i will include a link there's probably a thousand links at this point that people can follow uh on their own but i will include in the show notes a link to the Deadline article by Nellie Andreva uh, called Buffy the Vampire Slayer Series Reboot with Black Lead in Works from Monica Owusu-Breen and Joss Whedon. There's been a little, I don't know, debate over whether it's going to be a reboot or a reimagining or a right. continuation or what. But we are Whedonites. We have opinions. So... <laughs> Let's uh, <laughs> let's just talk a little bit about this. What? How do you respond to this news? Um, it's a tough one because up until uh, a couple of years ago, or even I would say even six months ago, I would be absolutely not, no way, no how. This is terrible, terrible, terrible. Buffy stands on its own. It's perfect the way it is. Don't touch. It. I would just have gone on and on like that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and a lot of people know that I I have said that kind of thing in the past. Um. There was, as we discussed last week, there was a lot of talk at Slayage about 
um, things on Buffy that perhaps are starting to feel outdated and outmoded and perhaps even politically incorrect. The show that you would think is the most politically correct that was so aware of itself was still 20 years old. And as I mentioned last time, I'm having some issues trying to get my teenage daughter to watch it. She finds it kind of boring, a little bit outdated and that sort of thing. Um, and so part of me when I heard the news thought, well, if this is what it takes to get a younger generation that's watching um, sort of faster pace like Riverdale or um, or or more diverse shows. My daughter loves uh, The Fosters and Switched at Birth. I mean, those are her favorite kind of shows. They have a lot more diversity. And we all know just how white the Scooby gang is on Buffy. I mean, it's very clear. However, <laughs> my issue... First of all, I should say there's one caveat. This is news coming out of Comic-Con. News coming out of Comic-Con is always early, early stuff. There's, there's, it's a ton of speculation. There hasn't been a lot solidified. The creators themselves haven't sorted it out yet. And the number of times we have heard of news coming out of, of Comic-Con and then it turned out to be something completely different. I mean, that is usually the way it is. So I am hesitant to weigh in until I know everything. But what I would say is, I think I would much rather have a, a black vampire slayer that wasn't named Buffy. Nice. I feel like Buffy is Sarah Michelle Gellar. And to bring in a black actress, rewrite the show as a reimagining, I, I'm imagining more of like a Battlestar Galactica, the way they did that and Starbuck became a woman. I mean, it was, it was a similar sensibility, but for a, a different time, basically. But... Buffy, a, a, a black slayer, deserves her own heritage and her own story and shouldn't be put in the shoes of something that was previously occupied by a white woman. It, it doesn't make any sense that they would do that. I I love Monica Wusso-Breen. I tend to um, associate her with J.J. Abrams. I mean, she was on Alias and Lost right, and, and yeah. all the shows that I watched and she wrote and executive produced and she did amazing stuff over there. So I'm super excited to have her at the helm. But I feel like it should either be an alternate universe version where she's the chosen one, but it's a totally different story where Buffy never existed or it could be a continuation. I mean, you've got the comics in the way, so the world of that canon has gotten really weird, and I'm not sure how they could bring it back to TV. I feel like an alternate universe, but she needs her own story. I, I, I don't want her to be Buffy. I think that would be really weird. I completely agree with you on, on virtually all of that. Uh, I have spent many, 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 many years um, either outright hating or at least distrusting the concept of reboots of things. However, famously, I'm a massive fan. I was a fan. I grew up with the original Battlestar Galactica, but I adore the, the reimagined, the reboot series or whatever. Um, like there have just been multiple examples in, I feel like the last decade of things that have been like reboot is a bad word, but I feel like it has been pulled off successfully. Yeah. Um, but I am 99% in the camp of don't, don't just make like, don't recast Buffy. Like don't yeah, retell exactly. the same story. My first instinct would be, yes, just have it be a continuation of the original series, but you were completely correct with that whole comic book stuff. Uh, really throwing yeah. a massive, massive monkey wrench into any plans. <laughs> like, like wh what do you even do with a yeah. series that picks up after that? 
Um, so uh, I, I just I can't imagine that they would want that that any network would want to do this without the name Buffy attached to it. Right. Exactly. And and to be honest, I I I cringe at the idea that fans and academics that that viewers are going to say oh no i mean the black buffy no i mean the white yeah. buffy i don't yeah. want a black buffy and a white that's terrible like what to say that oh my god yeah. I, I she needs to be her own person i i think that you and upend everything you're intending if you go and do that yeah i, I mean I, just, right. I mean why not do like a tales of the slayers yeah where, exactly like it could be an anthology series or it doesn't have to be it could be you could have yeah. the main the main slayer character but it just be i don't know i feel i, I there's going to be a line they have to walk here where they they try to cash in on the brand recognition of buffy the vampire slayer right. but really please let's not call it buffy the vampire slayer absolutely absolutely but anyways uh aside from all of those pitfalls and hurdles and and <laughs> obstacles in the way i'm really pulling for this like i would love the idea of new stories like new new visual stories absolutely and i think that it's a great universe where you have a lot of people in hollywood and a lot of shows i mean buffy is still considered revolutionary still considered um such the harbinger of the golden age of television we have right now. I mean, when it started, we didn't have all these great shows, and, and but it was really the beginning of a lot of that, and it's still seen as hugely influential. So any showrunner who comes on to it will probably have been influenced by the original. But now that we also have the news that Joss Whedon has had a show that he's going to executive produce and, and write, uh, picked up by HBO, he's going to be occupied over there, and I think he's going to put that's why Monica was is good I think it's gonna be more her thing it's but will she do it within the vision of the original Buffy probably I mean she would have been really influenced by that show as a lot of people in Hollywood have been mm. and she has worked with I, I mean I say with in air quotes but she's worked on a Joss property she worked on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's right um so I mean there there's I'm sure she has a working relationship with Joss and and my understanding is that Joss would be like executive producer in name only maybe on, That's right. on That's this, right. on this show. Cause yeah. he's got, he's got two other, at least two other projects. He's got that HBO series, the nevers. Uh, and then he's also yep. got that Pippa Smith grown up detective thing. That's right. That sounds bizarre to me, but Hey, whatever. <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. So, uh, Obviously, I watched Alias. I watched Lost. I did not watch Fringe. Uh, those are three oh, of the things I that love uh, Fringe. <laughs> those are three of the things that Sabrina is known for. But uh, the most recently, kind of where I'm familiar with her from is uh, the NBC series Midnight Texas, right? Which has only had a single season so far. I, for some reason, I thought that was dead, but apparently it's not. It's coming back for a second season, which is cool because uh, the first season was fun, but I really felt like it it needed some space to grow and apparently it's going to get some space. So, right. Anyways, awesome. fingers crossed that all of this, uh, first of all happens and absolutely that it happens in an acceptable way that doesn't like rip apart the phantom. Yes. Oh my uh, God. <laughs> that would be the worst. Good luck to the creators of this show. Yep. All right. So, We've put it off long enough. <laughs> um, 
uh, on a podcast known for not having this annoying banter at the top of the show i've now done it twice in a row so i apologize <laughs> time time for a drastic distraction reduction um <laughs> but first the spoiler warning conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast we're going to be exploring the plots characters and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole that means spoilers and lots of them so i recommend if you haven't already watched buffy the vampire slayer and angel the series all the way through at least once that you press pause on this annoying podcast now and go do that um, we're pretty funny i think maybe but the jokes are going to land a lot better if you've seen the shows that we're joking about so uh with all of that taken care of nikki if you're ready let's go to work so this time around we're talking about episodes 304 beauty and the beasts uh 305 homecoming and 306 band candy and uh let's start off with beauty and the beasts so uh nikki yeah <laughs> kick, kick, kick us off what uh what are your immediate thoughts on beauty and the beasts well these uh i mean to to take them first as a as a trio i mean okay. these are coming out now of the first three that we discussed on the last one right. where it's trying to kickstart the new season, bringing Buffy back. And now we seem to have gotten over that initial hump of her leaving. It still comes up. I mean, it comes up, I think, in all three of them at some point. But the when you step back, I think each of the three are kind of Monster of the Week episodes. They are mm -hmm. ones that don't push the the main story arc that we know is coming and we're very excited about knowing is coming um they don't push that forward however they do have important things for each of them so you've got the introduction finally of the mayor who right. is my favorite oh All man is my absolute favorite i adore him um you have uh, Angel returning, and we know what that's going to turn into eventually. And as a sort of aside, you have the Xander Willow thing that is is building up and becomes a real issue in uh, Homecoming and, and continues on from that. And we know that that's going to become quite disastrous. So, um, and and so you've got these things. Faith only pops in like a, a couple of times, and she's barely there, which is. A shame, but I, I know I, I again I'm rediscovering the series on this rewatch, and uh, yeah. I was so excited at the introduction of Faith uh, the last time we spoke, and completely forgetting that uh, this next batch of episodes we were going to watch, she's really not in them very much. Yeah, now. they're they're pretty faithless episodes, and and however you step back and look, the writers of these episodes are Marty Noxon, mm -hmm. David Greenwald. And Jane Espenson. I mean, you get this huge triumvirate of writers writing these three kind of Monster of the Weekish episodes. And that's what makes them so great. Like, they're, they're still so worth watching. Of the three, Beauty and the Beasts is my least favorite. Okay. <laughs> and okay. I, I find that I'm a little hit over the head by all men are beasts and let's now get three of them. And I mean, it's, it's a very it's a very special episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is a very special episode. You're right. On a show where Joss Whedon made a big deal that he would never have one of those, it kind of feels like it. And some assembly required kind of did a little bit of this. Um with with the whole you know Frankensteinian thing, and now you've mm -hmm. got the guy who turns into the beast when he drinks his potion or whatever, and then goes after Debbie. I I liked that very little. I, I was not a <laughs> fan, <laughs> but I did like the parallels between Oz and Angel and mm -hmm. Willow and Buffy, and how each of them, because Oz is the positive 
hell beast <laughs> an angel is the negative one who has done terrible things to them yeah. and so now you've got buffy and now she's it just as we seem to get over her leaving she is instigating another lie and she's about to lie to them and that's what's going to become the worst part of this the uh so <laughs> marty noxon i i've been vague and i will continue to be vague until someone calls me out but I, I'm not the biggest fan of Marty Noxon. One of my things with Marty Noxon is I feel like sometimes the the metaphor uh, yeah. of, of her episodes is less metaphorical and much more like yes. on the nose. I agree. Um, I feel like that is the case in this episode. Um, however, I'm I'm so conflicted about this particular episode because uh, speaking of Beauty and the Beast, because yeah. um, the whole uh, after school special vibe of the toxic masculinity and all men are beasts and that kind of stuff is, is a little bit like, you know, the, the subtext is very textual in this. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily appreciate that. However, and I want to talk to you about this because in, in your uh, writing on it in bite me, uh, you talk a lot about the uh, call of the wild stuff, right? I, I can't quite decide um, I either love or hate the sort of call of the wild fetishization <laughs> that goes on. I think I kind of hate it. <laughs> you, yeah. you kind of hate it. Yeah, I, I got that sense. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, as um... – Man, I should have gone back and reread that. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure that I said something about the fact that you you have these, and I'm using air quotes, quotations from the yeah. book that are read over like it's like a narration over, but they're not actually quotations from the books. They're just paraphrasing lines from the books. And and I just I felt a little too ha like hammered over the head with ooh, call of the wild, and oh, and yet I felt like it didn't quite you know, parallel that book very much. And, and so I, I didn't love it. I felt like they were really trying to shoehorn something into this episode on the, see, here's where my conflict is on the one hand. Um, I, until I, until you'd mentioned it, until I read where you had mentioned it in your book, I, I had missed the fact that those were not like actual, just quotes lifted straight out of call of the wild. <laughs> Which um, you would assume yeah. Which they're used that way. It sounds that That's way. Right. And I, I believed that they were. And I loved them. I loved those quotes. And I kind of love the way that uh, it it speaks to the the ideas of this episode. And uh, like the line, and from the depths of the forest, a call still sounded. I freaking love that quote. Uh, um, but it is like once I realized, once you pointed out to me that that's not actually like was she reading the cliff notes? Is that what it is? Because Xander <laughs> mentions the cliff notes. Now that would be funny. <laughs> if they actually reading the cliff notes, that would be amazing. Uh, except that unfortunately, it uh, like the opening voiceover is Buffy, and then it fades into Willow. And I guess Buffy, Buffy would be reading the cliff notes. I could imagine yes. that. But the fact Willow, that it fades that. right into Willow, who's actually reading it out of the book, I'm like, no, she, Willow, would not be reading the yeah, cliff no, notes. No, 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 never, never. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But uh, anyways, yeah, I, I, I guess I fall, I, I guess I lean more into your camp of this was really kind of clumsy uh, <laughs> forcing the themes of this episode down our throat. Yeah. But I don't know. I want to like the whole Call of the Wild stuff more than I do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, there there's certainly some great moments in the show, and 
you know, the one thing that I, I think that I did, it's funny because I talked about how in Bite Me, I, I tended to go after Joyce a lot. Uh-huh. And now I sort of regret that. But I feel like just when I was skimming back for the last one, I feel like I let Xander off the hook a lot. <laughs> now I don't want to. And, uh, and, and I, um, I, I see him a little bit differently now and I don't love him as much. I think that I once did, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit, but, uh, so he's just, he's kind of a buffoon. Like they're asking him to watch Oz and he's like, got it. No probs, you know, and he's got his little thermos of coffee and immediately curls up on the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, now granted Buffy is also asleep when, when Giles walks in the room, but you assume she was doing a lot of research first and watched him and maybe was asleep for 10 minutes. Like we don't know. So, <laughs> up for the whole friggin night. So yeah, I did I, I did have to bring that up because like my in my notes I'm talking about how so Xander gets ripped a new one for sleeping on the job while watching Oz, but but Giles walks in and finds Buffy completely passed out and is com- yeah, and is totally fine. Like, <laughs> like like <laughs> has no problem with that whatsoever. So and <laughs> and my thought is, you know, I want to be incensed here. I want to be like, wait a minute, what's the double standard here? Why did Xander yeah. get ripped apart for this? But also, Xander has needed to be ripped apart for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, he's he has not been held accountable for practically anything. And so it's weird that all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, why are you jumping on Xander? <laughs> I don't know. I, I had, as, so, as, as with so much else in this episode, yeah. as with so much yeah. else in this episode, I'm completely conflicted. I'm of two minds. I'm a Jekyll and Hyde on this uh, episode. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, maybe that was intentional. Maybe that's maybe they maybe did this stuff was. deliberately. It was to did... awaken the beast within you, <laughs> the, the critical beast. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Okay. So you're right. There's there is actually a lot of good stuff in this for a for an episode that, taken as a whole, is really kind of just there. Yeah. I mean the the, the heavy lifting that this episode does. The important thing this does. The reason you can't just skip this episode is we get Angel back. Um, yes. So, like, you can't just pretend this episode didn't happen. That's um, right. And also we get uh, Willow in a, performing a perfunctory sort of autopsy. And she has a damn Scooby-Doo lunchbox, which <laughs> which I, I geeked out over that. And then as I was typing it in my notes, I was like, wait a minute. Have we seen that before? Well, she's worn a Scooby-Doo t-shirt before. I can't remember if we've yeah. ever seen the lunchbox before. But just right, the fact which is that... iconic, right? It's yeah. the lunchbox that's iconic and uh, because of how many people had those. Yeah. And I love that she's using it as her morgue kit. Yes, exactly. That's so, that's so beautiful. God, it's amazing. Um, let's see. Faith has the line, all men are beasts, Buffy. Oh, I roll. Um, I know, exactly. Um... Mr. Platt. Mr. Platt. Let's talk about yes. Mr. Platt. Um, I feel like these three, I'm just going to say these three episodes. I don't, don't remember if every one of them does this, but this, this batch of episodes felt like there were several characters that were like introduced that could have been interesting characters going forward. And none of them like make it out of their respective episodes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mr. Platt is is really interesting because when she first walks in you're like oh my god who is this guy you know and then you see how he pulls her on side he listens to her and not only that but in one session seems to have gained her trust so much that she comes storming into his office and is willing to tell him everything you know Mm -hmm. and and that's huge but of course 
he's dead by then. Um, also, but of course we knew that because he's a person of color and that's pretty right. much somebody, yes. but anyway. Yeah. Um, but he's someone that she really, it's an adult in her life that she turns to and Buffy doesn't have very many of those. And then in another one of the episodes, um, I'm thinking it's homecoming. Now they're all blending in my head, but I think it's homecoming where her favorite teacher in the whole world, she yeah. goes and, you know, and asks for a recommendation and the woman doesn't even know her name, you know, and that this is the adult who she trusted and really let her down and, and really makes Buffy like, she just doesn't know what to even do with herself. Now that this woman that she believed changed her life. So she must've changed the teacher's life as well. And the woman can't even remember her name. I mean, it's an awful blow to Buffy in that moment. So, and then in band candy, she just can't uh, trust any of the adults for reasons. <laughs> but uh, but it, 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 we do see, you're right. We see these characters that come in where in the second in homecoming, this other teacher like, Ooh, is this going to be the new Jenny calendar? Nope. <laughs> She's in and out real, really, fast. which is a shame. Cause that actress was Jennifer Hetrick. Um, who, who played, uh, Miss Moran, I believe, was the teacher's name. Yes. Uh, Jennifer Hetrick, the actress, has been in uh, tons and tons of stuff. She is a genre actress of... Oh, she looks so familiar to me. I didn't look her up, but yeah. Uh, I I immediately recognized her because on, on my other podcast, Comedy Geeks, were her Comedy Geek. Damn it. They got me. <laughs> they got me. They made me put the S on it. There's no S on that Comedy Geek. Anyways, um, we're, we've been covering... Uh, X-Files going back from the very oh, beginning and covering every season of the X-Files and she played Sharon Skinner uh, A.D. Skinner's wife on X-Files oh so, wow okay that's where I knew her from but anyway she's also been in Star Trek uh, she was Vosh yeah. I think in Star Trek who was a love interest for Picard at any rate oh, uh, she's a fantastic okay. actress I kind of uh, again uh, it would have been great to have her stick around in a recurring yeah. role but yeah. and may maybe she does I actually I confess she doesn't die in this episode. So That's right. I don't remember if we ever see her again. Maybe she comes back, I don't think so. but she is not the, well, she's not the new Jenny awesome. calendar. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah no, Mr. I, I, Mr. Platt is interesting because he is the school psychiatrist or mm -hmm. well, I don't know, counselor or therapist. I'm not sure they really <laughs> didn't know exactly what he is, but because they they sort of make him seem like he's sort of in the field of psychology or something, but they go to him when they're failing. A, so I think he's more of a school counselor, like yeah. a, a guidance counselor. And and yet he goes much deeper than a guidance counselor. I remember guidance counselors when I was in high school and they were about the least effective people <laughs> that were in the school. That could have been my school. I, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, so he he just he has so much potential and then he's gone you know it kind of reminds you of um teacher's pet you know mm -hmm. that that, yeah. that 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 really got through to buffy for that one moment and then was gone you know yeah what message is this show sending all of the <laughs> all of the like school personnel that really have an impact on buffy they all die yeah exactly yeah, that was rough <laughs> So I want the reboot Buffy series to actually tell the story from the all of all of the uh, the school's perspective or whatever. I, right. I like I want the perspective of Miss Moran. I want to see the story from uh, Mr. Platt's point of view. No, I probably don't because his point of view was apparently very passively having his face violently chewed off by uh, Mr. Hyde. It was such a weird scene. <laughs> 
that uh, we, we see that that Pete, good old Pete's alter ego, is completely brutal and savage and like eviscerates uh, his victims. And yet Mr. Platt is just casually sitting in his chair, still holding his cigarette. Wouldn't that be kind of cool, though, to have a series that is redoes every single episode of Buffy in order, but from a completely different perspective where you have lookalikes of the original Scooby gang. They're just way far in the background right. reenacting the scenes that we know very well, but in the foreground you got like, like a ton of Zeppos. It would be just a ton of Zeppos. Oh, and the Zeppo would actually show it from Buffy's point of view, but you couldn't do that now because they can't do that, but whatever. Now I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll get a Wusso Breen on the on the next episode and we'll okay. talk about this got it done um all right so a couple more things from this episode um the redesigned werewolf oz is genuinely <laughs> awful oh like terrible like uh I, i'm famously nitpicky about my werewolf re werewolf representation and i i had nits to pick with how he looked originally but good yeah. lord good lord well as Not Joss, like as Joss okay. describes him, he says, we've gone from a big gay possum to puffy gorilla. <laughs> Love it. Well, also, as we all know, werewolves gradually transform yeah. and he now transforms like a vampire like, and he's got the game face on like no i mean i mean it, it provided i'm not going to complain about that scene too much just because it gave oz one of the very few examples of oz getting a genuinely like sort of badass tough guy line to deliver that doesn't that does not happen a lot for oz so, right so when I, he's I, getting yeah, beat up by a, a line but it does it does detract from you know the the thing that was hammered home in phases and any sort of werewolf show is the the incredible pain they yeah. go through in the transformation and that was just suddenly gone yeah. and yeah. and i thought no that i mean because that's not the the whole thing about the werewolf is that like imagine knowing you're going to go through that yeah has got to be terrifying for for the days of the month that aren't full moon so i i was a little disappointed they took that away yeah they like could have a werewolf thing they could have played that out where he's in the process he's in the early the slow painful process of transforming when pete yes. comes in and he's getting beat up while he's kind of helpless mid transformation and then the transformation uh yes. you know completes and that's when he really gets to come i don't know that's right but, but like michael jackson in the thriller video where he turns and says go away he would turn and say his line mm -hmm, yeah yeah <laughs> and that would be you know as part werewolf there's how you do it anyways i still adore oz but man the <laughs> The new design is the oh. worst. The worst. Arrow. Um, let's see. What else did we get? Um, well, we got, we've already talked about the sort of after school specialness of the episode, yeah. but the, 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 I want to complain about it being hypocritical and I've seen other people complain. I think actually you talked about how really off putting it was that uh, Buffy takes the tact that she does in her, talks with debbie right um i mean i understand i guess that it's the it's supposed to be the tragic irony of the story that buffy is so uh, down on debbie for like making excuses for her abusive boyfriend in the episode where she is making excuses for her abusive boyfriend exactly i, yes, I, I get it 
really yeah I, I get it i know that's the parallel they're going for but it it it's rough it is rough and it's it's because um we don't know pete before he sort of turned into this thing whereas we know angel and mm -hmm. so we are going to in our minds be trying to make excuses for buffy in a way um but the parallel is there you know if any abusive uh boyfriend or husband the reason that they are in a relationship is because at some point they showed a humanity that made this other person fall in love with them and and that is angel that is pete and oz continues to have that humanity he is a beast against his will as is angel to be honest but a season after seeing angelus where he relished in it where mm -hmm. oz never ever does that's what sort of sets them apart but angel the way he is now is re-insoled he's back to you know falling at, at buffy's feet and tears running down his eyes all while shirtless <laughs> and, yes. you know, with the tattoo and, you know, with the tattoo but the tattoo is back yes so uh so yeah, he's the he's the angel that she loves and has mourned for all of these months and now all of a sudden he's standing in front of her. And of course she's going to react like this. Of course she's not going to go, "I'm sorry, but you tortured my watcher." And now you're, you know, she's not going to think that way. She's going to be like, "Oh my god, he's back. This is the real angel. This isn't Angelus." Right. And but when she is she there's no inward looking <laughs> in that scene when yes. she's Debbie. She never stops and goes, wait a minute. Like there's there's not a moment like that, but we do. Yeah. yeah. I can't I can't get over this series' insistence on restraining super strong characters with twine and tissue paper. <laughs> like right? like Oz is supposedly contained inside that really flimsy book cage. <laughs> thing that you can pull off. Uh, yet late yeah. yet later he's noticeably stronger than Faith. Um, That's right. That's right. And we've we've already uh, in a previous episode we've seen Angel locked up in a cage, very much like the book cage. I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, uh, it was I think Willie the Snitch, uh, right? Locked yeah. him up in that cage that was just held shut. First of all, it looked like it was made out of balsa wood, and it was just locked with a <laughs> flimsy little like high school padlock on the door. And I was like, really? Come on! <laughs> um, and now we get Angel chained to a like a rusted finial or something that looks like it's being held together by cobwebs so yeah this show just loves telling us how super strong these uh these like otherworldly characters are and yet they're constantly restrained by by uh like zip ties and stuff yeah no for sure for sure <laughs> so um, i also couldn't help but notice when um the the moment when the I think it's Pete and Oz are both loose in the school and they're sort of running around after them, trying to both catch them. And Buffy, you just go when she's tearing down this um, hallway and you hear the clop, 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 clop of her very impractical shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those never bother me. Like, I was always totally fine with her having these, like, cute strappy sandals and yet she does her slaying in them as well she doesn't she she will train in the library and somehow midday changes into trainers and sweats and sweats like she literally perspires all over the place then puts her cute little dress back on and goes to the next class and yep. you're like ew uh, but and yet she can't put on some sneakers to <laughs> like get some runners on to go through that school I guess it, it was very fun it's one it's one of her slayer powers they don't That's talk right. they don't talk about it a lot but yeah um, Man, I wish that power. 
So the, uh, I guess the, this is not actually the theme of the episode, or maybe it is. I don't know. But the thing that I latched onto, and I, I want to kind of talk about, is Giles gets a great line in this, and it's something that I connect to. I, I feel this really, really strongly. Um, he's got the line, uh, in my experience, there are two types of monsters. The first can be redeemed or more importantly, wants to be redeemed. The second is void of humanity, cannot respond to reason or love. Um, that to me is the overarching theme of the series. Uh, it's a subject that comes up a lot. Uh, it plays heavily into uh, Angel the series. It is sort of, it, it's one of the shining beacons that I am drawn to in these stories. It may not be what the series is always going for, but um, that just really stood out to me because I love the idea that at least at certain points, the series recognizes the fact that what, you know, redemption isn't necessarily about what a character has done or what, you know, if, if they could be mystically redeemed or whatever, it's about their desire to be redeemed. Right. And that's a major lesson that Angel, the character, uh, kind of struggles to learn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that's really good. Um. Okay. I guess that's all I have to say. We, we get a wonderful little uh, poster in, behind Buffy at one point that's about how most women aren't attracted to dead guys. I thought that was right. cool. <laughs> Which is very funny. And you get that awesome moment of uh, of them accidentally shooting Giles with a train. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of my favorite Giles moments ever. Uh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Um, that and, and last question. If Pete had survived... Because he is savagely uh, like chewed on by Werewolf Oz, so if Pete had survived somehow, would he have gone on to become uh, like uh, Jekyll slash Hyde slash Werewolf? I wondered the same. I was like, is like the whole reason that Oz is the way he is is because some young cousin of his bit him. Right. right. <laughs> so of course, yeah. 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 I would think he would be for sure. <sighs> All right. Anyways, I don't know what else there is to say about that episode. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there it is. On to Homecoming. On to Homecoming. So uh, this one uh, written and directed by David Greenwald, as you mentioned, who, yeah. um, you know, I have a fondness for because of his connection to Angel. Exactly. But uh, as this, in the context of this episode, how do you think, how do you think he did? How does homecoming I, work for you? I love this episode. Okay. Right. I really love this episode. And every time I watch it, I love it again. And I think it's one of those episodes you're not supposed to, but I, I really, really love it. And um, I mean, it's the introduction of the mayor. If for yeah. nothing else, it's it's seeing him for the first time. And Alan, his, his assistant, that poor Alan, who, who is, has a very important role to play. He does. And he's only in this for a little bit. Um, uh, David Greenwald, as you mentioned, I mean, he's the guy who creates Angel back in season one, and he they had him write a lot of the the stuff for Angel, and then he becomes the the guy who does the series. And so there's surprisingly little Angel in this episode. Yeah. So uh, you you would sort of expect there to be more. Um, you've got you get the uh, 
that dude from uh, Bad Eggs comes back, so which is an episode I hate. <laughs> Lyle Gorch. Lyle Gorch. Yeah, yeah we get Gorch back. It's That's so it's so interesting to note that Gorch survives his encounters with Buffy not once but twice. But twice, I know. And you're like, okay, as if they were setting him up as sort of the recurring vampire. <laughs> but thank goodness they didn't. <laughs> I think I've had enough of Lyle. Maybe maybe he'll be in the new series. They'll bring him back for the new series. <laughs> That's right. And since he's covered in makeup, it doesn't matter, right. you know, that, how much older the actor is. Um, uh, wasn't, wasn't his character, like, based on um, the Wild Bunch? Not, like, that's going way back to Bad Eggs, but I'm positive that he was, like, a Peck and Pot character. But, there, uh, yes. Yes, there was. Is I, he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I so mean, yeah, I ba- based on that movie and then became the vampire. Like, I think that's sort of the joke, the sort of in-joke. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I love it. I, I think that the whole Cordy versus Buffy thing is hilarious. <laughs> I, just, I loved it. I it's tense. It's it's mm-hmm. actually kind of tense. It's Cordy at her worst, and then in the cabin, it's Cordy at her best. And you actually see glimmers of Cordelia when she ends up being more heroic over an angel. That even the moment where she stands up and becomes Wonder Woman, she's still got some nasty sarcasm that she's gonna spout. That's all about her. Like, you know, that that selfishness of hers never goes away. And that's I love that so much about her. Um, the I, I kind of chuckle now when they're like, welcome to Slayer Fest 98. <laughs> he delivered it. He delivered it with such conviction, though. It's like way to date it. <laughs> and it made me think, oh, we missed an opportunity with um with the last layage, it should have been Slayer Fest 18. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I just thought, wow, way to, to da- instantly date it, you know, that have that year in there. I mean, clearly they were playing on like Lollapalooza or something like that, but it was, it was very, very funny. Um, I, uh, the one thing I will say is regardless of Willow and Xander and their awkward mm-hmm. <laughs> relationship that they have together, I still don't believe for one second that Willow would have ever had, trouble picking between Cordelia and Buffy. I just don't think that even all the guilt in the world, I think Willow would still have always voted for Buffy, but, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. That, that was a little rough. Like (laughs) it wasn't until she, her and Xander are, are talking later and she actually explicitly states that they, they overcompensated for their guilt at, like kissing each other by helping Cordelia. Exactly. That hadn't even occurred to me. I was like, oh, she was just helping Cordy because Cordy asked her first or whatever. <laughs> I guess like like Cordy asked for her help before Buffy ever decided to run for homecoming yeah. queen. That would have made more sense, but at any rate. Yeah, so the the Willow Xander kiss stuff, this this illicit affair that has begun between the two of them, it is uh kind of like the Call of the Wild stuff. I love it and hate it. Yes. Typically, exactly. typically I'm at 48 years old and this is a discussion I had on my, on uh, the Avatar Returns podcast many times. The whole uh teenage love triangle stuff and and teenage romantic misadventures, I'm I'm done with that stuff. I don't, that, that stuff that stuff does not interest me at all. So so there's a lot of eye rolling that goes on for me when when this stuff happens, but it is I mean in my notes I put a question mark behind this. I'm like it's 
I guess it's sweet. Like everything involving Willow is sweet. All right. Willow is just sweet. Um, and early on in the series, I know, you know, there, there was the unrequited love between the two of them. And we, we were kind of hoping that they would get together, but I felt like that had sort of been addressed already. And yes. And I don't remember what episode it is. And, and, uh, I mean, I was, I've been listening to your podcast, but have not necessarily been going back to rewatch each of the episodes uh, mm-hmm. along with it but there isn't there an episode in season two when when she finds out that he's with cordelia and she ends up in the bathroom stall and she's crying yeah no and she confronts that, him as very upset that yeah. breaks my heart yeah. like absolutely breaks my heart and that's when you realize that even with oz she still sees xander as something more than just her bestie you know and and so now I I kind of I kind of love the teenage unrequited that, that still gets me. I think I'm always going to be some teenage girl at heart. I don't know. But Fair enough. I, I love it, but I do. Even when I first saw this episode, when she comes out from behind the divider and she's got the black dress and she goes, "I know you're going to say what about?" and and he says. I was going to say gorgeous. And it's like, oh, <laughs> there's something in a way that he delivers that line. I'm like, stop. <laughs> just, just, I hate it. I, I hate it, that. It's so awkward and it makes me cringe so much. But. It, it, it does it read differently now. It should read differently, but I, I'm, does it read differently now that um, our opinions on Xander maybe have changed from what they it, were when we first watched this? It might. I find I find that it was just always a cringy line the way he says it. The the sort of fluttering of the eyes and the wide eyes and the way he says it and he sort of does a thing with his head. I can't even describe it, but there's just something that has always bugged me about him trying to be sort of the romantic. It's like when he tries to step away from goofy, then it kind of falls flat a little bit. It's the same. You know what? He uses exactly the same body language. And the same tone of voice as he does in Becoming when he says, kick his ass. He says it exactly the same way. I was going to say gorgeous. Like, exactly the same way. And I'm like, you can't step out of goofy. Like, the moment you do, whether you're having to be badass or romantic, you you do it all the same. Like, Xander just is this guy who's sort of the goof and and when he steps out of it it doesn't quite work that said i mean certainly by season seven we're going to see some real tragic moments with him and yet there's always just that oddness about the about him that Mm -hmm. that i find that just rubs me the wrong way but you're right it could be a a rereading of xander there's he there's a moment where he's constantly saying so what base have you gotten to with and it's just like shut up you know and, and that didn't actually annoy me as much before as it does now and i'm like none of your business <laughs> and he, he again he does it with anya he does tend to be attracted to women that he believes are less intelligent than him and and so cordelia is hot anya is hot but he's always sort of patting them condescendingly on the head oh you silly little girl and that does seem to be a thing with him that's what he's attracted to so will is suddenly a whole different level because no one's more intelligent than she is in this group and now he's got someone who is that smart um and i think he's actually intimidated around her a little bit is there some is there some implied depth to xander here now go with me for just a second (laughs) I will. Is, is there some or or intended depth to Xander? I'll let, we could argue whether it's actually there, but is the series possibly uh, 
trying to set Xander up as he's attracted to smart and powerful women like Willow. I mean, eventually Willow um, and Buffy. And then, of course, he's got his Slayer fetish with every other Slayer that comes into town. Yes. But the girls that he ends up with are the ones that he feels less intimidated by because they are um, either like in Cordelia's case, they are um, just bare. They're just on the peripheries of the group. They're not one of the main players in the group necessarily. And everybody can mock her or whatever. Um, And then with Anya, there's the whole uh, he gets to condescend to her because she's just learning what it is to be human and all that. Like those are the girls he settles for, but the ones he's actually attracted to are the ones that are much smarter and much more capable and more powerful than he is. Right. I, I mean, that's the thing is Xander is that character. And I think that, you know, I certainly argued for this in, in bite me a lot and, and I still feel it. There is a moment where you just want to, Hit him. <laughs> well, there are a lot of them. <laughs> but the reason, that, and then all of a sudden you're pulled back and you don't, you, you love something that he's done or he said, like he, the, he's always referred to as the heart of the group. And I do still believe that uh, despite everything, despite him being skeezy and despite him being such a teenage boy and, and being a jerk all the time, there, there is that heart and he loves very deeply. But as we find out, and only in snippets, like we never really get it explored too much, but we know he's been abused. We know that he's grown up in an abusive household with an alcoholic father whom we assume beat up his mother has hurt him. He uh, lives in the basement, but he always has these nightmares of of his dad coming down the stairs in a drunken mm-hmm. state. So what did he do? Has he done something to him? He refers to an uncle at one point. There, there's something where he mentions an uncle and it's just, and he does it offhand. And I think that Xander is the goof as a smokescreen. And he does that because if he has to get serious, it's going to hurt. So he's not going to get serious. So that way, if he ends up with Anya or Cordelia, all he has to do is just start kissing them and don't have a conversation. And that's right. sort of how he feels. Whereas with Will, she actually knows this about him. And she knows that's why she talks I'm, I'm sh- much later. She says something about how they would have sleepovers all the time and they would be in a tent. And she, it was her getting him out of his house and getting him away from there. So she knew she knows what he's grown up as. And she has that soft spot for him. And he's comfortable around her in that sense that she knows and doesn't judge him for that. But I think he always lives. And of course, this is going to be explored way down the line in season six and Hell's Bells. But he lives with this fear that he's going to turn into that. And he like that is why he hates Angel. I've always believed that's why he hates Angel so much is because Angel is the the demon side. The Angelus is the thing that he's scared is inside of him, too, Mm -hmm. and that he is going to come out at some point. So he puts up the goof exterior. And but then when she steps out and he's actually taken aback, maybe I shouldn't be judging him so much. It's a cringy way. He delivers the line. And yet it's genuine. It's a moment of genuineness when he goes, I was going to say gorgeous. And it feels like it falls flat because we're not used to him being serious. But now he's showing his cards in that moment. And Xander doesn't do that. He wears his heart on his sleeve, 
but at the same time hides the pain that is always right there underneath the surface. I think he's a very complicated character. I mean, this is why this is why I struggle with Xander so much because as you and I and pretty much every guest I've had on this podcast have, have mentioned, we didn't used to have problems with Xander. Like were you early on, Xander was the heart of the group. Like yes. we, we loved Xander. Um, and it's just now, at least, at least for me, it's just now coming back to it and realizing, man, he's, he's really got some issues, but um, I think, I think there's a, a little from column A and a, maybe a lot from column B, uh, with yeah. Xander, there is definitely some recognizable, like, uh, human trauma associated with that character. And he's, we Absolutely. can empathize, we can empathize with him and we can like put ourselves in his, uh, position. Some of us, at least, um, it just so happens that viewing it through the context of 2018, he's a very problematic character. Yeah. And so. I mean, and I watch, uh, I, I remember I, I was telling you in the last one that when my daughter was so <laughs> thrown off by him and just really, and I was like, what? And the thing is, is even watching this and knowing that I want to throttle him half the time, um, I can't, I'm looking ahead and I'm thinking of the talk he's going to have with Dawn mm -hmm. in, you know, near the end of season seven. I'm thinking of that moment in the Zeppo where he is in that basement and he thinks the bomb's going to go off and the guy and he just says I kind of like the quiet and it's the way he just stands there and closes his eyes like I will happily accept death right now you know and that has always hurt me so much that hurts my chest when he does that in that moment the Zeppo is one of the funniest episodes but that moment hurts so much because I've I believe that that's always bubbling just below the surface for Xander. Yeah. Um, See, I totally ripped him a new one for saying you're gorgeous, and now I'm taking <laughs> it back. See, this is, what I, this is the problem with Xander. We're I, so I conflicted. Loving him, you know? We're so <laughs> conflicted. Um, okay, so... Uh, Buffy's dialogue. I tried to find at least one thing in each of these three episodes for me to really, like, attach to, and... <clears throat> in this one, there's all kinds of good stuff in here. There's there's iffy stuff, but there's all kinds of good stuff. But the the sort of thing that I latched onto is Buffy's uh, talk with Cordelia when they're in the cabin, and she's talking about how you know she wants to be able to look back. She wants to pick up her yearbook, you know, someday in the future, and and look back and know that uh, that she was here, that she was in this place, and she had friends and like and. I don't know. There's something about that that hit me because we won't go into my family history. You can listen to my other podcasts to, to get the, the therapy episode of gobbledygeek. But um, I, I really wasn't ever anywhere when I was a teenager. I had a very, I lived a very transient existence and didn't have, never really stayed in one place long enough to put down roots. I didn't have, I was never in a yearbook. I was never homecoming king or queen. Um, I didn't really have uh, close friends. So something about her delivery of that line in that moment really hit me. And and it doesn't always. Like the, that element yeah. of the show, it doesn't always speak to me the way that I feel like it speaks to a lot of people. But in this particular instance, I, I really attached to that moment. Yeah. No, I, and, and it's it's a moment that I love as well. And it brings you back to... 
um, I think it's Prophecy Girl, where she's basically like, I'm an 18-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, you know, and, and that keeps getting repeated throughout the series. I'm I'm a girl. I don't want to die. She says it repeatedly to Giles or to whomever. And uh, and it's so true. And it's it's tragic. And in this, in the moment in the cabin, I was so torn because you're listening to Buffy saying, this is why I need this. This is what I need in my life because I have, I was the popular girl. I was the, the Cordelia when I was at Hemery and now no one seems to even know who I am and I want to be able to open a yearbook and, and remember that I was a part of it. Whereas she is also the Slayer and she is also uh, this other thing in her life. Whereas Cordelia, all she has is his homecoming queen. Mm -hmm. Like this is all she has aimed for her entire high school life. And now Buffy comes in three days before and goes, well, I'm going to take that, you know? And so there's that part of it as well, where you look at, but Cordelia doesn't have the Slayer thing it, also in her personal CV, <laughs> you know, whereas Buffy has that, but also wants this to be, to, to show that she existed, whereas she knows Cordelia is going to be splashed all over that yearbook. That doesn't mean a lot to Cordy as much as this homecoming queen. So then you're sort of like, who wants it more? Who should have it more? But much like you, I'm, I'm not in my yearbook much at all either. I, I'm in that one picture. And I pretty much stayed below the radar. I was, I was a very like nerdy kind of type. And, and so I, I, I feel for her for sure in that moment. I never looked like Buffy <laughs> or I could wear those outfits, or, you know, or, you know, run in those, run in those shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Hey, you know, um, but no. And so I love that. And of course we do know that something more is coming this season. That's going to change her legacy right. in high school. But, uh, but for this moment, uh, it's a, it's a great speech. I love that moment. Uh, and then that touching moment gets destroyed by the fricking Winkle Voss twins showing up. <laughs> the Guten Tower, whatever, whatever that is. <laughs> yes. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. I Professor just... X back at the mansion <laughs> in his wheelchair. Why, is, why exactly do the, I, I, I genuinely can't remember their names, so I just call them the Winklevoss twins. Yeah, uh, why great. exactly do I they? I thought the same thing. I was thinking Winklevoss twins. <laughs> why exactly do they need coordinates fed to them in order to fire their uh, grenade into the cabin that they're st literally standing right outside of? Right. I know. I know. <laughs> Whatever. Oh. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> They're right there. Nitpicky. Uh, uh, one more nitpick I have is that Willow at one point claims that the zombies from that went to to Buffy's party and Dead Man's party uh, killed all the kids, or kids. I don't know if she said killed all of them, but like there were kids that got killed in Dead Man's party. Um, were there? I mean, I guess. Yeah. I guess. I guess probably. But the only person, the only person we saw get killed was poor, uh, poor Pat. Poor Pat. Yeah. Pat. <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, really? Because there were so many people there and you don't see a huge memorial happening at the school. That said, I, I think they would have to have perpetual memorials at the school if they yeah. really, seriously. Um, but yeah, the, um, I, I do also love in this episode when uh, the mayor says to Alan, you have all my faith. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that line so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's great. Such a wonderful introduction. Okay, so Harry Groner as, as mayor... Um, what is it, Richard? Yeah, Richard Wilkins. Richard the third. Wilkins the third. Yeah. Um, he's 
he is rightly remembered as one of the shining stars of this series oh, and new new listeners i warned you it's a spoiler podcast but he is great and you were going to fall head over heels in love with him in this season of course uh but it's such a wonderful introduction because you get that uh like he's he's so i don't know um what i'm trying to think of some like uh wholesome 60s TV oh yeah, like sitcom. leave it to Beaver. Yeah, like, okay. He's totally like the Cleaver kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. icy suns. Yeah. But there's uh, yeah. that. But there's that wonderful. Wash underneath your nails. Yeah, yeah. That, That's the scene. That wonderful tense moment where uh, the deputy mayor pu- puts his hands on the desk, and just because a because it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, and you're we're conditioned to expect weirdness to come out of these these wonderfully peaceful moments. But the, also the fact that he's got a letter opener. The letter right opener there. is right there. That's right. When this, when the, that started, I was like, I saw the letter opener, and I'm thinking, God, I don't remember this scene. Is he going to yeah. stab it? Like, <laughs> even now, I was still thinking that. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. But no, it's it's even better. The character is even better that they don't that he doesn't do that. So. Absolutely, he's wonderful in this role. I just, I don't think anyone could have pulled it off the way he does. Um, I was doing a, a book signing once at a fan convention and I was sitting at the signing table and Harry Groner was on my right. And oh, James wow. Leary, James Leary, who plays Clem, who oh, comes man. he's on my left. And so I'm between the two of them and I, my stomach hurt. Like they were so funny and they, they just kept going on and on and on and they I mean they were so funny and and I couldn't have been in the better spot I, I couldn't imagine I would not even want like Allison Hannigan like they were so funny and it was the best afternoon just sitting between the two of them and they just went and went and went and they would they riffed on Buffy they riffed on all sorts of things but just the two of them were awesome and Harry Groner I still remember him uh, in between like there would be these lulls where no one would come you know and so we would just sit there and chat and him opening up um, bite me and uh, and so this is it has this color section uh, this photo section in the middle of it and there's this photo of uh, um, I think this was it might have been in the original version because I'm now flipping through the ch- I think it's either the 2002 edition there's three editions of the book and there's a picture of David Boreanaz and he's got these blue sunglasses and he's clasping his hands in front of him and he's sort of tilting his whole spine backwards and he, and Harry Groner is like is he in a boy band? <laughs> and they couldn't let this photo go. Like they just went on and on about this picture. And I mean, we were just crying over it and it was so great, but yeah, he is amazing as the mayor and just a great person in person as well, but so good in this role. And it's, it's funny that it's that over the top, like he's constantly spouting cliches, you know, children are our future and cleanliness is next to godliness. And that's what makes him evil. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, like, it's that that makes you go, something's not right here. Yeah. And, uh, and I love him. I love the mayor. Glory is an amazing one yes. coming up as well. But I think the mayor is, is, is always going to be my favorite. I was wondering that rewatching this, I was, cause I remember absolutely adoring glory. And I was, I was thinking, <laughs> How is this like? I'm going to try and pay attention this time, knowing yeah. what's coming. I'm going to be like, all right. So really, who is it? Who do I give the edge to? Is it the mayor or is it Glory? And right now, having just you know, it's just I'm just re 
introduced to the mayor and I'm like, it's the mayor. Come on. It's the, exactly. It's the and mayor. as soon as you see Glory, you'll be like, it's Glory. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's so great about them that you'll have to actually compare them line over line, really. I mm -hmm. mean, they're, they're so close. But Mayor Wilkins is fantastic. Yes. Um, all right. Speaking of fantastic, or are we? I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, let's move on to band candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, the themes that best describe this episode. Uh, A, violence breeds violence. B, everything must end. Or C, all systems tend towards chaos. <laughs> <laughs> which which would you go with? Actually, I think, above. I think the answer is D, all of the above. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's. And it's so funny because I love band candy. I really do. And it, yet it's so cringy. It's yeah. <laughs> so cringy. And I love it. I, I just, I think it's so funny. I tend to be, and there's a lot of, of these episodes, but I tend to be one of the fans who doesn't love the, they're not acting like themselves episodes. And uh -huh. there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, um, there's, was it where the wild things are? I don't like that. Something blue. I am in that rare camp that goes, yeah, I don't Whoa. know. I, I, I just, why do they have to not be themselves so oh, much? Man, I am, I'm putting you down for our something blue uh, you know, episode. You know, and yet Tabula Rasa mm -hmm. is one of the absolute top episodes. Like, I, I love it so, so much. Um, and so this one is, again, now, not everyone. Of course, you still have the, the actual teenagers um, are still acting like themselves. But it's the adults that go, that upend. And I... I just loved it all over again. And yet I was watching it differently um, this this time through, as I think you do with every show, really, as you get older. But um, it's like the adults, like when Buffy is standing there saying, you're overscheduling me. I have other things to do other than slay and be your daughter. I've got the SATs coming up. I've got, you know, all this stuff happening. You've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager. You know, and, and there is that she never says it, but it's it's underlying what she says. And then, of course, they are reminded what it's like being a teenager. And and the thing is, is teenagers have the right to be teenagers. They are meant to be teenagers. I've, I've got one of them now. <laughs> and, if, and if I make it to her being 20 without one of us getting the other one, it'll be amazing. But all these years, you know, as she's growing up and I'm like, no, I've done this right. I've done everything right. We're not going to go through those years. Yeah, no. <laughs> because their brains are all rewiring themselves yeah. in puberty and there's no reason anymore and nothing is working right and they need... 26 hours of sleep a day and, and you know and, and they're constantly arguing and everyone has the right to have those years everyone gets the teenage years but if we stayed like that then we see the whole world would devolve into chaos what is also interesting though is that the current day teenagers are still there and they're the ones that keep the order <laughs> you know that, that maybe they weren't as irresponsible as the ones who went before them which is really really interesting Buffy seems far more responsible than Giles ever was as a teenager that is such an interesting read because I was going to make the joke that um the whatever we never find out what it is that Ethan puts into the chocolate that does right. this if it's some sort of drug or magic or, or what but whatever it is I was going to joke that it not only reverts them to teenagers but it also makes them particularly stupid teenagers <laughs> exactly. because we this is a show where we watch teenagers all the time and exactly. they they do they some do dumb this. stuff they do some dumb teenage stuff but they're also very 
you know, mature beyond their years and all that. And so seeing like literally every adult in Sunnydale become the dumbest version of a teenager. That's right. Um, that's I was right. like, so that's, yeah, that's what I've often suspected is that there is some, it's some sort of drug that brings out the worst side of teenagerhood where yeah, you have yeah. no filter, no morals. Whereas you see Buffy and Xander and Willow and all of them, there are moments where they do dumb things, but for the most part, they do have a filter and they do understand that there's a line you can't cross, you know, whereas in this one, I mean, if that is what Ripper was really like as a teenager, he's kind of an aloof dick. <laughs> you know, yes. Yes. He's so like, she's, she's all excited and wanting to listen to the music. And he's like, whatever, you know, and then he's just like, my God, they, they're like, but anyway, but then, you know, it's really funny when they're coming down the street and she sees the juice Newton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's such a great scene. So and Snyder is just a dork, you know, that yes. yeah. really Teenage Giles and Teenage Joyce are among my favorite things that the series has oh, ever done. I, 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 I love it. I, I love that. And I love the fact that it, like, I don't, I don't remember. Don't quote me on this. I'm, but I'm pretty sure we never see Teenage Giles and Teenage Joyce again. But this is referenced again in the future, I believe. It is referenced. I was going to say, yes. Yeah. Uh, poor Buffy is the one who has to reference it. <laughs> but no, I, so. I love the two of them like that. It's hilarious. I mean, I was imagining... Um, Anthony Stewart Head and Christine Sutherland getting this script uh -huh. and going, oh, my God, <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. You know, like we get to do something unlike anything we've ever done. So I wanted to spend a long time just uh, ranting and ranting like I mean, I should say raving uh, about uh, Jane Espenson, because I believe this is her first written by credit in the series, correct? I think it is, actually, okay. yeah, because okay. she comes in on season three. Yeah. So. um the the writing on this series has been like even even the worst episodes of Buffy up till now are still as is often said better than virtually everything else that was on TV at the time yeah uh, so this is not to knock any of the previous writers there have been phenomenal writers up till now but for some reason the uh, Jane Spencer's writing in this uh, there's a noticeable shift and i don't know if it's because as we've just discussed the the previous two episodes were just okay or, or whatever yeah. but there's something there is some kind of magic that hits in this episode the dialogue is particularly snappy the scene transitions the pacing the humor it's all seems so much more like genuine Buffy the Vampire Slayer to me than, uh -huh. than uh, maybe it has for a while. I don't know what it is, but um, I adore Jane Spenson and oh the right, the writing in this episode, whether this is your favorite episode of the series or not, the writing in it is undeniably fantastic. Oh, she is such a wordsmith, you know, and when it comes to dialogue, no one can deliver those snappy lines. Like she does not even the Joss Whedon penned episodes can mm -hmm. pull up some of the fast moving dialogue the way she does it. And, you know, you, you read interviews with uh, Whedon and, and the other writers who were in the room with her. And they all said like, she was just 
talk, 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 talk. You know, she she talked really fast. That is the way she sort of is. And she was so brilliant. Could always, when they were stuck on a line, she could come up with it. You know, and and when I interviewed her for uh, the Angel Book, I mean, she she was delightful. And and again, like so articulate and and explain. She wanted to explain, you know, things like this is how the writers' room works, and this is how it works to become an executive producer over a supervising producer. And here's what each one has to do. Like she was just and whether you ask the question or not she's right there with the answer and uh, and she she's absolutely wonderful and really um helps promote i mean she's fascinated by the whole Wheaton studies association thing she does have a she is was an academic her like she has an academic background um and so she you often see her writing the forewords of you know the academic books and and that sort of thing she's she's right in there but when i mean every time you see her name on an episode you know it's going to be fantastic and that at least even if there are moments you don't like in the episode the dialogue is going to be just nothing is going to top it. So I'm glad you said that because, um, like, like I said, I wanted to spend a long, a long period of time just praising Jana Spenson uh, left and right. And I, we can absolutely still do that. This is not a knock on Jana Spenson, but it's so weird that, um, the, because the writing in this is so fantastic and so crisp, the dialogue is so great there's this weird thing that happens with Buffy where she, in a previous episode, she talked about how, what a terrible actress she is. Meaning Buffy says, you know, I can't, I can't act or whatever. I can't lie. I'm a terrible liar. I think maybe it was an Anne actually. Right. Right. Um, but here we get two. So, so Buffy lies to her mom and to Giles and Willow. Uh, She lies to everybody about you know what she's going to be doing that night so that she can sneak away and go be with her her um demonic boyfriend but she is so convincing like the those scenes where she is lying to them and saying no i gotta go like i gotta go home and hang with mom or you know i need to go back and study with giles you know how giles is slay 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 all the time um her performance like sarah michelle geller's performance in those scenes and the dialogue is so crisp that even knowing as a as a repeat viewer, even knowing she's lying her pants off to these people, yes. it's completely convincing. It's one hundred percent convincing. So at least in this episode, Buffy Summers is a pretty great actress. She is, but I, I also wonder if the others have regained their trust in her, and so they're not looking for anything. So it's easier to pull and, off, yeah. Yes, yes, because there are scenes where she's like. Oh, well, um, uh, like this. And you know, she's thinking of Angel. We know that. And even when she's sort of trying to suss out the situation with Giles and she she does the whole spin on saying it's a dream instead of that it actually happened. I had this dream mm-hmm. of Angel coming back. And he never thinks to say, Angel's not back, is he? You know, like this. And, uh, because he would never think she would lie to him. And yeah. so, so she can pull it off that way. But you're right. I mean, she's able to sort of flip through this. Um, we can see through the lie, but that's because we already know. Like we have the dramatic irony of knowing something the other characters don't. And uh, and so so there's that. But uh, yeah, it's watching these episodes and seeing how she's lying about Angel. It it like it actually makes my heart. <laughs> faster because I know what's coming yeah. and I know, you know the reactions that are going to happen and it makes you very sad already and um, 
but again, this is perhaps where band candy feels like a one-off monster of the week. Oh, there's Ethan rain yet again episode. Um, at the same time, maybe it does come back to that idea of it. Maybe it is well-placed in the sense that adults have forgotten what it's like to be teenagers. Now they're reminded and maybe it's what helps them forgive, uh, what happens because Buffy is a teenager who lost the love of her life that she believes all, you know, when you're a teenager, you'll never love like that again, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so maybe it, it allows people to forgive her later, like the adults, I mean, because they had this experience. Yeah, maybe. So, but yeah, so maybe that's where it's situated. Um, I want to point out, you were talking about uh, what Ripper was like as a, as a teenager or whatever. First of all, first of all, was he, is, was that the period of, I guess that, that must've been the period of his, li of his life when he was going by Ripper. I was going to say, is that how old he was when he was the Ripper? Cause yeah. I felt like he dropped out of college to, to become Ripper. I don't know. Anyways, what I wanted to point out is how interesting it is that the Ripper persona that Giles uh, put on <clears throat> was an affectation like, yeah. um, including the the uh sort of cockney accent that he puts on and yes. what i find interesting about that is there's another character another british character um that plays a significant role in the series who uh has that sort of rough and tumble uh you know street vernacular speech pattern um and is and smokes and is very devil may care and all that and we find out that that character also uh, that that persona is also something of an affectation and that they're, they weren't always like that. Right. Exactly. Cause it's funny at the very end of the episode, when Giles comes out and, and Joyce is standing sort of by the car or whatever, and he's back to being Rupert, mm -hmm. um, you think, how did he get from that to that? You know, like <laughs> even, even when all of his magic went terribly wrong, does that turn him into an uptight <laughs> weed wearing you know it's, it's really interesting but perhaps the suggestion is no he became an adult you know and and the accent is far more refined um if you if you meet anthony stewart head or hear him at a convention or anything his real accent is not as refined as as rupert's it's and it's not cockney either it's sort of just a more casual version sort of in the middle so uh so it was interesting that the the guy playing this is actually in the middle of those two <laughs> characters um and uh, I, yeah, and I love though that this is, you know, because it, it was, a, I think it's the dark age where you get the background and you get that photo mm -hmm. uh, of who he was or whatever. And that is, that was an Ethan Rain episode as well, if I recall correctly. I, th I think that was the introduction of Ethan Rain. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Oh, okay. So Ethan is the one person who actually knew him as Ripper. Mm -hmm. And that's why in that moment in the, in the candy factory, you know, he's like, hello Ripper, you know, like that's immediately how he refers to him. One thing I love about Ethan Rain is, well, A, he always, gets away uh be that he always seems like that scooby-doo villain like if i weren't for you meddling kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also whenever he's caught he stands there for that one like half second and then he turns and like runs in a zigzag motion like he's being chased by an alligator <laughs> like every time he does and then he always gets caught because he runs into a box or a door or something. you know like every single time it's the same non-escape from ethan rain that i find hilarious and yet he's to get those kids later um, yeah, right. 
Oh, man. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, guns. So I continue. I, I repeatedly talk on this podcast about how uh, how rare it is to see firearms in the series Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah, uh, and how shocking it is every time they show up. And the damn series just continues to put guns in practically every other episode. So I am confused why... It has stuck in my head, and I, know, I don't feel like I'm the only one. I feel like when I mention this, my guests are always like, yeah, you almost never see guns, and it's so exactly. it's so powerful when they show up. But two of these three episodes, Buffy has a gun. Yeah, absolutely. And now I guess the, the thing is, is that there was always the belief that wouldn't life have been easier for Buffy if when she's patrolling she had a gun in the, in the back, of, like stuck in the back but, or mm -hmm. on a holster? Like wouldn't it have been easier if she just carried a damn gun? And a lot of people had said that, uh, you know, off and on. The guns that you see always belong to the bad guys. Right. And they, they, like there's a Trank gun, obviously, but the, but the one in the cabin, she's gotten off someone else. And, and in this one, you know, they've taken it from a police officer, who I guess isn't a bad guy, but they've taken it from someone else. And then she takes it off Giles. Um, so the guns are never carried by the Scoobies as protection, you know, to right. go trolling. And may, I think that's why. Well, we except Soldier, except Soldier Xander. Soldier Xander, exactly. He's an exception, but that's not. Not real Xander, yeah. um, but I love that he retains those memories. Though <laughs> I think my my favorite advent of the gun is when Darla has them. <laughs> that's it's one of my favorite lines. Is is I think it's back in season one or yeah, something where yeah. she goes scary and then pulls out the gun scarier. You know that's <laughs> always been so funny to me. I love that moment. But uh, but yeah, a vampire with a gun. Who'd have thought? You know, and, and <laughs> but she thought of it, and I think it's because our scoops never have them. Yeah that we've convinced ourselves they're not even in the show. <laughs> well, so I will continue to talk about how rarely we see guns, even though, I think we should. even Absolutely. though, even though every other episode, there's a gun, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you were talking about <clears throat> the scene in the candy factory when, when uh, teen Giles Ripper and uh, Ethan bump into each other. Right. Uh, one of my favorite things in that scene was how uh, how Teen Giles keeps pushing Buffy to punch Ethan, <laughs> and then when she does, he like jumps up and pumps his fist and says, "Yes, yes." No, I love it, and I love the um, possessiveness that Teen Giles has. You know You're that my slayer. You're my slayer. Yeah, and he keeps saying it, slayer, and it's amazing. I just love it. Like that. This is my toy to to do it. Whereas adult Giles doesn't see it that way yeah. at all. I'm the one who has to try to protect you and guide you. And teenage Giles is completely different. I loved that little, tiny little subtle thing. And uh, <clears throat> Buffy gets to. Uh, name drop let's do the time warp again yes which absolutely. of Great course of, <laughs> of course anthony stewart head uh yeah. has played frankenfurter in the uk stage production of absolutely and if this is news to anyone listening just go and google it it's amazing the picture you will see <laughs> worth it yes absolutely i did wonder in this episode like having had my own children show up at the house with fundraising chocolate uh -huh. and knowing how hard it is to dump it. And yes, the parents always end up buying the stuff. Is there not a single adult in Sunnydale that, that didn't? Said, no, I'm diabetic and yeah. I can't have it. Why did no one say no? Why did everyone just start chomping on the chocolate bars? It seems a little odd. I, I, I did wonder that myself. I was like, 
Uh, I mean, obviously we got on-screen explanations for Joyce and Giles, but then I was like, really? Every single adult yeah. in Sunnydale not only bought the chocolate, but has eaten the chocolate now. That's, that's right. That's you little... buy the fundraising chocolate, it ends up going in the garbage after exactly. seven, six months. That's what everyone does, right? Exactly. And, and now there's a suggestion that you take one bite of this and then you can't stop eating. But it's that first bite that I don't understand that everyone eventually took. Mm-hmm. Very odd. So at the not at the top of the show, but when at the top of this episode, I was talking about, you know, which which best describes the themes of this episode. And, and I think what was it? C was all systems tend towards chaos. Um, you were right. Obviously, it's D, all of the above, but all systems tend towards chaos is the fun one for me because it shows like I feel like this episode showed that, um, uh, you know, the things that sort of make society work are the the adult and t- child roles or whatever. It's the it, it's the adults have their adult roles to fill and the children have their teenage roles to fill. And when when one or both of those get messed with, everything falls apart. Yes, uh, exactly. That's yeah, and that's I think what I was trying to say earlier when I said you know teenagers have the right to have that time, but then they're supposed to move on to right. the next one, and the adults aren't supposed to go backwards, and the teenagers are supposed to move forward, and so this is and and if I'm like Ethan Rain. Every time he shows up, it's chaos. Like that's his thing. He sort of, you know, worships chaos. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And so every time he shows up, whatever is going to happen, the whole world's going to evolve into chaos, and then you're going to have to try to find some order again. And he runs off as everyone is desperately trying to put their lives back together. And so yeah, chaos is always his sort of thing, his hallmark. Yeah. Um. Oh, and then you've got Angel doing the Tai Chi. Right. <laughs> You know, shirtless uh, because we've got to have the equal opportunity objectification going on. There. Of course. So, uh, but yeah, that's pretty hilarious. Uh, and poor Buffy. I'm trying to think. I actually, this crossed my mind. What excuse does she give to the butcher <laughs> for I need a big plastic cup of blood? <laughs> Do you cook with it? I'm trying to figure out what what she would say to them. I, I feel I feel like she should have like a reusable cup, like one of those Starbucks cups that you buy that you just bring in to fill every time. Because <laughs> right. it looks like it's got one of those lids on it that you put the straw in the middle. Like yeah. that's what it actually looks like one of those plastic clear plastic cups. Oh, I mean, one of the things. Uh, not only is the mayor just a fantastic character and he's super fun and and the show is so much better for having him on it, but it also uh, like up to this point for the first two seasons of the show, it was kind of a a joke or maybe a nitpick that some people have had that uh, like, what are, what are the cops doing? Like, why does this stuff happen in Sunnydale and no one seems to notice? Like, where are the authority figures? How come no one goes to jail when all this stuff happens? You introduce the mayor, you find out who the mayor is and that he's involved in all this stuff, and it suddenly makes a whole lot more sense. Yes, absolutely. You so. know, and and another thing is is um, that is never really well. Maybe it's it's never really said explicitly. But Snyder in this episode, I mean, they, even though they are acting as teenagers, they still know who they are. Yeah. They don't know who they are. So Snyder knows he's the principal and he knows that Buffy is a student. He seems to have forgotten that he absolutely despises her. Right. right? Yeah. But on the other hand, he he clearly finds out in this episode or I guess already knew that she's the demon hunter 
in town, you know, and that he's right there with her, watching her stake the vampires, kick all these people, do all this sort of stuff, save the day, and then he goes back to the school and continues to despise her. And and I'm thinking, why isn't he like, wait a minute, is she a slayer? Or like, know this already? I I think he already knew that, and I feel... can't remember if that was confirmed in an earlier episode but i feel like it's certainly implied um the interesting thing about snyder because i was also going to ask what you know why does he all of a sudden when he becomes a teenager but he still remembers everything why is he so desperate to hang out with buffy and the scoobies um like the only answer i could provide for that would be that that's why he's such a dick when he's regular snyder uh because he does resent the friendship like he wants to be part of the group. He wants to hang out right. with her. Like, he doesn't right. really hate Buffy. Of course he does. But, I mean, he hates her because she's the cool kid that would never hang out with him when he was would a Would never look in his direction. Yeah. yeah. And and that's the thing is, is I guess... He's an they... incel. Oh, man. Oh, he's an angry young man. Yes, exactly. I mean, in our society, has far too many of those. And that's actually really interesting because that's sort of what I'm thinking, that when they go back to their teenage selves, they have their memories, but now they have the feelings they had when they were teenagers. And when Snyder was a teenager, he was still hopeful that he could get in with the cool crowd, even as they were pushing him out and saying, get away and, you know, and denying him. Like he actually thought he had a shot with Joyce. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's like, so are you guys like seeing each other? You know, like he's sitting there doing that. Because at one time, he still was hopeful that he could be part of the group. Now as an adult, he's jaded. He knows he'll never be part of it. But now he's principal, so it doesn't matter. And he's just going to make your life miserable. But as a teenager, that hopefulness came back to him a little bit, I think. And that's why he's so friendly. Yeah. He's just, he wants to be part of the gang. As an adult, he knows he, he won't. But uh, because he's given up on that one. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, he's, I, I think he's one of my favorite parts of this episode. I think Snyder is hilarious. I'm so, I'm so glad that he got an opportunity to, to actually, that all of them got an opportunity, but um, like, I don't know, particularly Snyder. I'm, I'm glad that he, uh, why can I not remember the actor's name all of a sudden? Yeah, Armin Shimerman. Yeah. Armin yeah. Shimerman. Yeah. That he got a chance to like act differently. Exactly. So. Well, then there's the whole, at the very end, I, I do love tricks logic when he's sitting there with the mayor and he's like yeah but we took out a demon that Mm -hmm. now you don't have to pay tribute to (laughs) and it seems like perfect logic to us um the mayor looks at him like this is monkey logic to him but i think that's because if you look forward to the end of season three uh his you know, Lakotis or whatever they, they called that demon is he's going to look a little remarkably like that. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and so, uh, and, and, you know, if, I don't know, there was part of me though, I'm sitting there going, okay, so if this, if that Lakotis demon was at one time, someone who had to be transformed into a demon, is there a point in your life where you say, you know what I want to do for the rest of eternity? <laughs> I want to live in a sewer <laughs> and never come out. But once every 30 years, I get to eat a baby. You know, like, I'm sure that there are some days where people go, you know what, that would actually be, <laughs> be preferable to being on Facebook today. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. It was like, is, is that what we aspire to? Um, I mean, that's kind, of, that's, that's kind of like being on Facebook. There's not, there's not a lot of difference there, actually. So, 
we're all Lakotas in our own way. Uh-huh, yeah. um, or whatever. I, I think I'm saying his name wrong. But uh, but yeah, he, I, I don't know. I've, the scene was interesting because I'm sure he's projecting himself into this. Like, wait a minute. You know, what if I become a, do all this work to become a demon and then it stopped somehow? Like, you don't want that to happen because I thought they were supposed to be immortal. And, you know, and so watching the demon get taken out like that would be a little bit tough for him, I would think. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I've, I think there's also, like, the way I read it is that uh, the mayor, um, and I feel like other sort of Whedon villains play with this as well, but the mayor in particular is uh, a bad guy, but he follows the rules. Like, he is very yeah. into, uh, I mean, he even says in this episode, you know, I, unlike other politicians, I actually keep my campaign promises. So yes. even, even though the end result is yes, he, he no longer like, he doesn't have to pay tribute to this demon anymore. Still, those aren't the rules. Like that's, <laughs> you're not supposed to cheat to get out of the contract like that. So, that's... so Mr. Trick, let's not do that again. Okay. Yeah, no, 100%. You're right. Like that. He is the rule follower. Yeah. Yeah. That's who he is. Yeah. All right. So Joyce and Giles finally did it. <laughs> Why no they didn't. Did... What makes you think that? <laughs> so did that bother you? Like did that upset you uh either when you first watched the show or even now? Does it does uh, uh, so the reason the reason I'm asking is uh, looking through your book I remember your reaction was you or something. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm pretty sure at the time I was like, Ugh. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was completely like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, like this is like watching mom and dad actually do it. Like it is no, 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 no. Now <laughs> I was looking going, Oh, that's pretty great. You know, good, good for Joyce. Good, you know, good for uh-huh. Joyce, good for Giles. They both got some and, you know, and they would actually make a great couple other than the fact that Buffy would lose her mind, right. you know, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, no, I totally watched it differently this time. That's hilarious. That was my reaction. Um, yeah, I don't doubt that was my reaction. But uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought good for them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I loved them, and I was actually surprised that Buffy's reaction wasn't more like grossed out than it was. Yeah. Clearly, clearly she was grossed out, but like when she finds them on the street and realizes it's them macking on each other, like I. I expected her to say you or whatever, but really she was just kind of upset and dragging her mom away. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that um, like Christine Sutherland isn't that old when she's in this role. In fact, I don't think he is either. I think both of them, even though she's supposed to be the mother of a teenager, she's, well, no, I guess that isn't that far off. She's in her early 40s, I think. Like, she's not that old. And you see a lot of the other adults and at the bronze, you know, they, they are much older. Right. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's too bad we didn't see a few of the other parents. That would have been really funny. We just heard about it, you know, from, from Xander and, and everything. But, uh, yeah. So I'm looking this up really quick. Uh, Anthony Stewart Head was born in 1954. He's 64 years old, so... He would, I'm not going to do the math, but I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, he was like 43. So he's 43. Yeah. So, so he was, in that scene, he was younger than I am now. I know. Same. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh, all right. Ugh. Didn't, Whatever. Didn't need to look that up for either of our sakes. I apologize. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up, Paul. Oh, my <laughs> I'm not going to, I will not look up uh, Christine Sutherland. I think she's about the same. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure she's mid fifties. So yeah, 
born in the sorry um okay um, well so unless there was anything else in all of those yeah. um some some good some bad but uh, a lot of a lot of pieces were moved on the board that are necessary for the series to go forward not enough faith we needed much more faith but absolutely i mean that scene of her with scott hope is hilarious it was it's god poor scott poor scott oh, hope poor scott because I mean, he you know yeah he just got the short shrift on that one but uh no i, feel, I mean i feel he, like i don't think we see him again but i feel like there's a callback there in is in a later season i think when it is um but yes there is there's the i mean we have to go through the whole parker debacle as well but yeah, uh yeah. and it might be brought up in that i can't remember Man. um but yeah, no, I mean, these, uh, at least he survived. At least he lived. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good on you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but these six episodes are the ones that basically are needed to give you the wrap up what happened in season two, move us into the new feeling of season three, introduce the key characters that are going to play the big role, like the mayor and faith and, and trick and Alan to a, a lesser thing on the side and really push it forward because then the next three episodes you get are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Like they're absolutely amazing. And that's where the real arc of the season really gets going. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Nikki, I, uh, Obviously, you are doing the Lord's work by being on this podcast as often as you have been. So thank you so much for being <laughs> I love here. It. Thank you. Um, I will have you back. I haven't gotten you to agree to be on the very next episode yet, but we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> uh, do you want to let the people at home know how they can find you online? Um, I am on Facebook and uh, I don't tweet very often, <laughs> but I am on there as well. And I do my uh, blog is Nick at Night, but lately it's been rather dormant until Game of Thrones comes back on, and then <laughs> which is still another year away. So, oh, gosh, uh, like, I know, terrible. <laughs> yeah, and I will. Uh, I'll put again as every time you're on the episode, I will include links to. Um, bite me the chosen edition i think is the version yeah. of the link that i've got up which is the yeah. third it's the it's the most it's seven seasons one book i think is the subtitle it is. <laughs> so i'll include that that link and the link to your uh great buffy rewatch archive in the show awesome. notes so thank you um and as for everybody at home thank you so much for joining us um you can find links to this in all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. Uh, help us stand out from the crowd. Say something nice or anything at all, but you know, I would prefer the nice stuff. Say something nice about Nikki. I don't care what you say about me, but Nikki was here. So please <laughs> say something nice. Uh, tell your mom to listen. Uh, if you've got any questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us uh, at the Facebook group, Conversations with Conversations with Dead People. Um, and next, so I, I said I hadn't convinced you to join me for next episode. I technically haven't even asked. Um, I, I'm... Slayage has thrown off my groove. I, I <laughs> pre-Slayage, I had like all of my guests lined up and I had so many episodes already recorded to release on schedule and I don't have anything pre-recorded yet. So at, at this moment, um, I have somebody who has ex expressed an interest in joining me, but they haven't confirmed yet. So I don't know who my next guest will be, 
but whoever it is, they will be joining me uh, to discuss. Well, secrets are going to get revealed. Shoes are going to start to drop next time. So we're going to be discussing episodes 307, Revelations, and 308, Lover's Walk. So good times ahead for everybody involved with those. Uh, Until then, gur-arg, everybody. Gur-arg. Like a true nature child.